Welcome to Poetry Lectures, featuring talks by poets, scholars, and educators, presented by PoetryFoundation.org. In this program, we hear a conversation between Macedonian poet Nikola Majirov and Ilya Kaminsky. Nikola Majirov is a poet, essayist, and translator, and has been hailed as one of the most powerful voices of new European poetry. He was born in 1973 in Macedonia, then part of the former Yugoslavia, into a family of Balkan War refugees. His own life was shaped by the civil war that devastated Yugoslavia in the early 1990s. He is the author of several award-winning collections of poetry, and his work has been translated into 30 languages. Majirov lives in Macedonia, where he works as a coordinator for the international poetry network Lyric Line, and as a poetry editor for the online journal Blesok. During the conversation, Majirov reads poems by Itzak Sarilic of Bosnia and Edvard Kotzbeck of Slovenia, as well as two of his own poems, while discussing the poetics of war and its aftermath, and the nature of memory and rediscovering. Ilya Kaminsky, the director of the Harriet Monroe Poetry Institute, hosted the conversation, which took place in April 2012. He began by asking about the history of Macedonian poetry. In response, Majirov compares himself to an archaeologist as he explored the oral traditions in his country's poetry. I found myself as some kind of archaeologist of all the echoes from the past. Macedonia, Macedonian literature has a powerful oral tradition because for five uh, centuries, you know, 500 years, this region was ruled by Ottoman Empire. But, um, so people were mostly... They had to whisper among themselves to tell stories in shape of songs, more uh, not like their personal stories in order to protect themselves, their families. So this oral tradition continued even nowadays. So even we had a special word when it's about translation poetry in our language. So when you translate all other genres in literature, you have the word prevot, but when you, tr prevot, when you translate poetry, it's prepev, and you know that pev, it's like to sing, so it means when you translate poetry, it's like to re-sing the song over and over again. How interesting. Yeah, this word is really special, uh, you use especially uh, for poetry, and I still remember the wife of the oldest brother of my grandfather, was only one year when they had to move to the north after Balkan Wars, and that's how we got the second name, Majirov, what it means, migrants, people without home. Mm -hmm. And she was really, I, I was waking up with her songs when um, she was singing uh, and uh, prizing when it was about uh, some ceremony of wedding of, or birthday, but also she was called by other people to wail on the graves of the people to sing their sad songs and she was making up the poems at the, at the same moment. Sometimes she would do this in the, in the wrong grave and people would come and say, what are you doing here? And then... Sitting on the wrong grave. Yes, it was a very, it's a very interesting moments from my childhood because there were two moments that were really uh, struck me at that time, how people hire another person to to cry uh, for for someone from their family and also how the grandmother was uh, too powerful and, and um, at this moment to create 
these poems are poems of grief about a person that she she didn't know at all. So I was thinking that this is uh, this uh, tradition of, of of inventing or or putting the personal histories, you know, from uh, uh, your own personal histories to to relocate them and and transfer them into some other's life. It still goes on on Balkans. We still whisper our our personal stories, and it's so rare someone to write them. But I'm happy that in the last period, especially after the Second World War, when the Macedonian language was codified, more and more books appeared, and um, poetry became something to be written, not only something uh, to be heard. How common is the oral tradition nowadays? How common is the oral tradition in Macedonia? Is there any con continuation of the oral tradition at all right now? Yeah, well, then became after the Second World War, when the yes, the language was codified, then we had poetry inherited our education. Mm -hmm. But then communism came together with, with, uh, in the, uh, with let's say, country republic of Macedonia, also ideology came, the socialism. So people were forced. Uh, we, as a, as a, also me, as a pupil at that time, we were forced to learn poetry by heart. Mm -hmm. What's interesting is that in our language, uh, we call it by mind, which has more reason when it's about ideology. Oh. I would say uh, so. We were learning the the poetry, uh, the poetry na pamet and you know that the pamet is mean it means mind right. while in english you have by heart which is more close to your own decision and your own love uh, to take these lines in inside you and into your blood in our region a uh, new new mythology was raising uh, it was a mythology of of respect and fear so poetry became, uh, in a way, mean, you know, to um, to be loyal to to the society. Mm -hmm. So this was the second dimension of of and the other dimension of the other side of the coin of writing in in that time. People were happy that now they can write in their own language the things, but they were forced to write more socialistic right. poetry yes socialism something that is that can move society forward that's that were uh, yes uh, talking to us but fortunately there were some writers like in that time in Macedonia like Vlado Rosovic or Bogomil Guzel or even Radovan Pavlovsky who were more open to the Europe and to the world mm -hmm. and even now they create uh, very good modern poetry and uh, they avoided the trap, you know, of of the institutions and the bureaucracy in that time. Mm -hmm. So the self censorship was, I would say, uh, more powerful than than the censorship of the state. People really found a way how to express uh, themselves. Also, recalling the oral tradition, the myths, the folklore. Uh, in that time. It seems to me in your tradition, in your country, in your language, oral tradition is still very, very present. Um, even in your names, the name of somebody who doesn't have a home, Machirov, 
who translated into many, many languages. And yet history is very present, even though your poems try to resist it in some ways as much as possible. And yet in one of the interviews you said earlier, my initiation into the world of the responsible started with war that did not belong to me, but was coming my way. War that did not belong to me, but was coming my way. Now, you were 18 years old when you first saw war. How did your own writing, how did you, how did other poets you know in former Yugoslavia have been influenced by war, by conflict? Yeah, usually the moment of initiation is about representing yourself to the other people, to the society, what you're able to do. You know that, you know that in, let's say, native Americans, they used to change names or to be given other names and to be more responsible in the society. But this was the change. The change was more inner. But our change of my generation came from outside. What year did the war begin for you? In 1991, when uh, also... Republic of Macedonia became independent when communism disappeared from the map of this region. So there were many, many moments uh, that, that came at the same time. Also, the norms of, of moral norms, uh, ethics, uh, aesthetics, they, they were all ruined. At the, at the same moment, everything disappeared and we found ourselves uh, alone, you know, in this cut forest and non-protected by, by the wind of the, of the new time. Since we were kids, as I remember, almost 90% of our games were war games. We were playing partisans against, I don't know, Germans and all the kind of, we have strange kinds of weapons made of, of stones, or made of wood. And now when you realize that there are weapons that can kill someone, then also your childhood is killed. People uh, hardly want to remember those games from the childhood after really everybody lost some of his mm -hmm. closest family or, or friends. But the thing is that our generation didn't escape from, from facing the war or uh, we didn't proclaim ourselves like lost generation. But we were either writing about it or keeping silent, which is also remembering the war. Keeping silence, which is also remembering the war, beautiful. Uh, especially when I say writing about the war, I, I talk about the writers from Bosnia, some of the poets from my generation, like Asmir Kujovic or Faruk Shekic, they really were part of the war. They, they had weapons, they were in the mud all the time, and uh, they were the one that, at the same time, like uh, some exposed deers in the eyes of, of the hunter, but also they were hunters themselves. Mm. So uh, in a way, they write poetry now, you know, I feel them both uh, from the both sides. But the thing is, the thing is that really hundreds of pages uh, appeared after the war about this. When there was a war, people simply didn't have Papers when Sarajevo was surrounded, they didn't have papers where to write their poems. They were just remembering the war. 
Afterwards, there was just writing and describing the war. And what left some period after this post-war period was whether these papers would have been more powerful if they were blank or if they had words mm -hmm. on them. Are there any poems that you could perhaps um, read for us that are relevant for you from that time period or from poets of that time period? Yes, there, for example, Izzet Saralich mm -hmm. wrote magnificent serial of uh, those war I would, uh, poems, especially while he was hitting under the ground. He was alive, but more than two meters under the ground. And from this position, he wrote really magnificent poems. So he wrote poems while sitting under the ground? Yes. Wow. One of them was the theory of distance. And I would read you a few lines uh, in translation by Irina Zolf. I'm one of those who believe that Monday should be discussed on Monday. Doing so on Tuesday might be doing too late. It is hard, of course, in a cellar with grenades whistling above your head to write poems. The only thing harder than that would be not to write them. Mm. Very powerful. You know, this is, of course, very different from many Americans' experience of a history of time and place of their country and the way the lyric poet interacts with it. And yet, I'm reminded by lines of a very well-known American poet, Louis Gleick, who once said, what does one expect of a lyric poet? We look at the world once in childhood. The vast is memory. What does one expect of a lyric poet? So what is the language of childhood for you? In one of your conversations, you have said that many poets of your generation and earlier generations were influenced by the dark mix of old folklore, by songs, by oral tradition, as well as modern surrealism, uh, civil speech, civil language. Uh, sometimes language of propaganda. So could you give us some examples of such poems, perhaps? Yeah, let's read another poem. I think uh, we have the poem from uh, the Macedonian poet Bogomil Guzel, who was very connected to the uh, folklore uh, from this region, from the old folklore, uh, from the language of, of his ancestors, um, the sound of of those, uh, I would say, uh, mythical and mystical uh, oral songs from the past. But here, in this short poem translated by Peggy Reed and Graham Reed, mm -hmm. he speaks about freedom. Breathing is as easy for us as flying is for the birds. Whereas it ought to be a toilsome task, which exhausts us so that one day we don't get to work. Only such breathing, not mechanical, but wield, can bring back breath to the dead. He was one of those poets, um, a few writers, I would say, that 
were, had really problems with the contemporary new myth after the Second World War, when the churches were replaced by secret, by sacred bureaucracy and uh, Yugoslavia in that time. He had to run away from the country. His father was killed. And um, that's why I would think that even nowadays when, when we don't have this uh, kind of pressure about when it's about motives or writing, he still has need to speak about freedom. He's a poet of of uh, powerful and uh, poet of the silence of the uh, people who really suffered. And he's not only the one. We had Edvard Kotzbeck or we have uh, from Slovenia, we had uh, another poets like uh, Jovan Koteski from, from Macedonia who really died in fear of being watched. I think that even, even he was afraid that his funeral was recorded by by someone. He was afraid that his funeral was recorded by someone. Yes. So uh, when we talk about this generation that was really um, inspired by the old folk or about these stories about vampires in the, in the, in the villages, about uh, witches that were in this region, and people really start, wanted to, to, to be close to, to the primordial in, in, in that time because this was the only way to be aware of your roots uh, when other the aggression of other culture like uh, Ottoman Empire was really trying to to erase everything that was before on this region. Even mosques, all the mosques were were built uh, on foundations of, of uh, ruined uh, churches as well as uh, I would com make a comparison that uh, Kundera said that the, the contemporary novel is built on the ruined foundations of, of the poetry. Mm -hmm. And uh, in these layers, uh, I will, uh, you find many um, archaeological sites of not only of buildings but also of stories of sounds. sides of stories, very nice. Yes, of stories, of, of uh, personal myths. And, of course, I will mention here Vasco Popa. A great poet of Yugoslavia. A great poet of Yugoslavia who built so many poems on, on this Slavic darkness, let's say, Gothic uh, memory of the Balkans. And they were also very contemporary at the same time, very modern and... And you feel uh, also the influence from surrealism. And also I can mention here the great poet Thomas Shalomon from Slovenia mm -hmm. and many others who, who really uh, are not known. And I would say once Edvard Kotzbeck was described like one of the best unknown writers in yeah, Europe. Yeah, I think it's Charlie Simon who said that, isn't it? Which is, yeah, sounds very paradoxical, but it is, it is true. Let me um, follow up on something you say, and then perhaps we'll come back to Kozbeck and continue to really rediscover the great poet. But you say that a lot of the oral tradition and poetics were in response to the Ottoman invasion of the culture. How are the poets of your generation responding to the Western, perhaps even American, invasion of the culture? 
Yeah, that's very, very interesting question. You have this, in a way, people were, f- were quoted in, in back t- uh, in time of uh, socialism very much, Erich Fromm, with his theory about the homo consumers, you know, a person that only consumes all and uh, not aware, you know, uh, about his real needs, but he trusts just the needs who were imposed. So I think that the 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 poets really in this race of uh, being translated into English, uh, some of them really wanted uh, wanted to be closer to the uh, English-speaking uh, uh, poetry traditions in order to be easily uh, accepted. Uh, so they they tried to adjust their poetics and their thinking and uh, leaving the roots of of the myths of the folk and the oral oral tradition mm-hmm. but some of them were not aware of this so they wrote the best poems when they were not thinking about the moments of translation of the moments of mm-hmm. uh, transferring into one culture into another culture or one or one system of words i would say and silences into another system of words and silences a system of words and silences yeah. very lovely yeah, and I feel this is the the poem that uh, the the point that when you mentioned childhood uh, before, and I agree. Sometimes in Bosnia, when I last time visit Bosnia, people divide their personal time even before the war and after the war, mm-hmm. and uh, I consider my time like I have childhood, and the next personal time will be uh, is remembering the childhood Mm -hmm. and the thing is that what about leaving the childhood so um in my poetry i i try to leave my childhood not to remember my childhood Mm -hmm. and if we were talking about how was uh, to come uh, back home and to feel the, the the, the the water the cold water from the tap on your on your palm before drinking it then the coldness to to feel the coldness of the water on the lips uh, it was not about being thirsty it was about touching the water it's about it was about you know remembering the 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 water uh, outside of our body mm-hmm. and uh, this I what I wanted to do is to transfer this atmosphere by using words or the atmosphere of of the childhood of of curiosity of mm-hmm. of rediscovering the things that are inside us like the water but in the outside world mm-hmm. by using the imperfection of the words so i think that's thing makes the things to be universal but yet not global makes things to be personal but yet not individual so uh when someone writes by purpose in order to be translated in a certain area, let's say, then uh, then it's like the the paradox with with the shooting in the center. Mm-hmm. When you everybody say if you shoot the center, then you miss everything else around it, mm-hmm. and that's how it's with with poetry. Yeah, that's a beautiful way to put it. Let me um, come back for a moment to the poet you mentioned, Edward Kochberg. Um You read earlier today, and I wonder if you could read perhaps a few lines from uh, his uh, wonderful poem called Lon- Longing for Jail. 
Yeah, I would make a parallel very interesting because one of the poems in the when it's about um, when we talk about the history of Macedonian literature is uh, one of the most beautiful poems uh, written in uh, 19th century was from the Konstantin Miladinov mm-hmm. and the title is Longing for the South mm-hmm. and it's written in Moscow when he was just longing for the sun of the and of the south uh, in uh, near the Ohrid Lake in Macedonia and this poem initiated in fact the oldest one of the oldest festivals in the world right. Struga poetry evenings and every year they opened the festival with longing for the south beautiful uh, but in this in this case unfortunately in this poem written during the period of, of uh, socialism and um, Edvard Kotzbeck wrote, it sounds ironically, but in his case, unfortunately, it was pure reality. He wrote the poem Longing for Jail. I was late for the most important spiritual exercises of my life. I'm left without proof of my true value. Each jail is a treasury, a secret drawer, a jealous torture chamber, the most important stage of executioner's asceticism before he is corrupted by a naked woman holding a knife. Wow. It's a beautiful picture. It's a, in a way you have the naked woman uh, and in the other holding a knife when uh, uh, put Eros and Thanatos in, in, in one female figure. And he he knows exactly that the the the, the motherhood, especially the figure of woman, is uh, very very strong mm-hmm. on Balkans. It seems to me uh, from this conversation so far um, that the poetic tradition is happening in a time of a lot of war, a lot of upheaval, a lot of a uh, political struggle, and yet the response to all this realism is very metaphysical. Even this launcher of a jail poem, which you just read as a few lines, gives a very metaphysical response in protest of the reality around it. Of course, the other poem you read a few minutes ago has this beautiful lines, Freedom, which is a bridge to the dead. And that made me think of um, a poet of English language, W.H. Odin, who once said that breaking bread with the dead is what makes the writing was the paper it is written on. My other question would probably have to do with uh, the terms that you make in your, your own work, your own metaphysics. Your childhood, as you say, you're trying to forget the war of it, the silence of it. And yet in your poetry, in many ways, it's not poetry of war, but poetry of praise, poetry of a spiritual seeker. You speak often, in, in, in your work, you speak to us in images and metaphors, saying something like, I reveal myself like a feather stuck to an eggshell. And when you speak of your generation, you say, nothing exists outside us. Sometimes we call each other sun, light, angel. And when you speak of yourself again, you say, I'm empty, as a plastic bag, fill it with air. Perhaps you can speak a bit more about it in terms of craft, however, specifically in terms of uh, what kind of poetic tools to use to be a poet of praise. 
Well, I never could see myself like poet as guard of history, especially of the official one, one that it's in all books, you know, and has to pass through many controls. Once I said that in all important wars, you know, we talk with numbers or they don't talk if there was a rain or there, there was a, I don't know, at, the, at that moment, how many letters arrived at that day, for example, for, for the soldiers. Writing poetry in that kind of circumstances, writing pr- poetry of praise, as you named it, or poetry of silence or, or metaphysics, it's not, I don't consider, again, escapism, because I want to be very active toward these processes. It seems very much a part of your literary tradition, metaphysics as an active Yes, work, very active form. Work. Yes, I completely agree. Even Shimborska said that everything is political. You know, he has, she has this beautiful poem about the stone with the, with the door, mm-hmm. open door, and that's how one of my, my, poem, my last book was uh, called Relocated Stone, which was again fine with tradition. We have saying in our language that the stone always wants to be there on its own place. We know that history says that when you replace the stone, it can be, become a home or a wall, whatever, or you just can even kill someone. So I even don't consider myself, to, when Heidegger said that, of course, that, that the writers or, or poets can be guards of this house of being, and he named the language as the, as the house of being, I don't consider myself the one who writes, even not the one who remembers, because everything for me is just discovery, not even creating or rediscovery. I like even more to to rediscover uh, things. So let's say that my words, my, my lines, my memories are not covers of reality, but let's say rediscovering the doors of of something beyond reality. Someone called it metaphysics, someone called it uh, sacred, someone says this is very profound, but uh, I, I want everything to be like a home, one personal home, mm-hmm. like a stepping the threshold. You know, I was also impressed when I was a kid seeing an old lady when she was coming out from church once, and usually people come out from church when they turn with their back, so they 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 have always to have face uh, in front of the church. So they it's not good if you turn your your back towards the church. So mm-hmm. so I saw her once when she was crossing, yeah, and praying uh, in exactly on the threshold on the church. And it was just a moment that you don't know whether she is going inside or she goes outside from the church. So uh, this uh, picture remained in, 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 the, in myself, and I never used it as a line, of course, because it was too sacred for me. It was too, too precious, it, but it just remained. Be careful. All our listeners are going to take that line now. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I believe, because it was a border, you know. Yeah, it was a border for me for uh, crossing, uh, let's say, from from childhood into remembering the childhood. Or Very interesting. Maybe because of the contrast of, let's say, the, the wrinkles of, of her 
forehead and you 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 have the also the cracks on the on the wall of these old churches and and you look at this uh, this moment so naive and so clear and that time this perspective and i was always impressed by one line of uh, Ivo Andrich when he said that poems always has to surprise with already known things and that's how I, I I want to I didn't want to identify with the with the things I'm writing or I'm reading yes but I wanted to be surprised by them that was Nikola Majirov speaking with Ilya Kaminsky to conclude we'll hear Majirov read two of his poems shadows pass us by and many things happened so I'll read the poem shadows pass us by we'll meet one day like a paper boat in a watermelon that's been cooling in the river. The anxiety of the world will be with us. Our palms will eclipse the sun and we'll approach each other holding lanterns. One day, the wind won't change direction. The birds will send away leaves into our shoes on the doorstep. The wolves will come after our innocence. The butterflies will leave their dust on our cheeks. An old woman will tell stories about us in the waiting room every morning. Even what I'm saying has been said already. We are waiting for the wind like two flags on a border. We are waiting for the wind like two flags on the border. One day every shadow will pass us by. Next one is Many Things Happened. Many things happened while the earth was spinning on God's finger. Wires released themselves from pillars and now they connect one love to another. Ocean drops deposited themselves eagerly onto cave walls. Flowers separated from minerals and set off following the scent. From the back pocket, pieces of paper started flying all over our airy room. Irrelevant things we which would never do unless they were written down. That was Nikola Majirov reading two of his poems, Shadows Pass Us By and Many Things Happened. The conversation with Ilya Kaminsky was recorded at the Poetry Foundation in Chicago on April 13, 2012, as part of International Poets in Conversation, sponsored by the Harriet Monroe Poetry Institute. Among Nikola Majerov's books that are available in English are Relocated Stone and Remnants of Another Age. You can read more about Nikola Majerov at poetryfoundation.org. Also at the Poetry Foundation website, you'll find articles by and about poets, an online archive of more than 10,000 poems, the Poetry Learning Lab, the Harriet blog about poetry, the complete back issues of Poetry Magazine, and other audio programs to download. I'm Ed Herman. Thanks for listening to Poetry Lectures from poetryfoundation.org.